jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. Ladies and gentlemen. Style Philosophers. With host Michael Paris. On jasoncharles.net. Hello and welcome to Style Philosophers on JasonCharles.net Podcast Network. I'm your host, Michael Paris, and thank you for joining me. In this program, I have a fabulous guest from the world of travel, but not just any kind of travel. We're going to be traveling in the most luxurious and glamorous jet set way. We have with us one of the travel industry's most sought after tastemakers and content providers, Melanie Brandman. In this program, we will be exploring the style of travel through Melanie's amazing travel experiences mixed together with her passions. Nothing quite excites us more than the anticipation of wandering into a fantasy world full of new people and experiences. Together, we'll explore with Melanie her unique tastes, preferences, and travel aesthetics. She will also be transporting us virtually in this episode to a few spectacular lifestyle locations. Welcome, Melody, to Style Philosophers. I'm thrilled to be journeying here with you today. Thank you, Michael. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm delighted to spend some time with you. Terrific. You know, before we transport to a few places, I'd like to give our listeners some of your background. Shall we do that? Yes, absolutely. Melanie is the founder and CEO of the Brandman Agency, an integrated communications company. Melanie's clients are the who's who of the luxury travel and lifestyle industries. Based in New York, she is a trusted advisor to her global roster of clients, as well as resource for media and tastemakers. With offices in New York, Los Angeles, London, and Sydney, Melanie is considered one of the most credible travel and communication experts in the business. Prior to establishing the Brandman Agency in 2001, Melanie served as Vice President Corporate Affairs for the Intercontinental Hotels Group based in London. Melanie is the recipient of the Winthrop W. Grice Lifetime Achievement Award for Public Relations, presented by the Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International. She was named Most Compelling Woman in Travel by Premier Travel Magazine and has been invited to speak at various conferences around the world, including the New York Times Luxury Travel Conference in Singapore. In 2012, Melanie launched Travel Curator, a digital publisher dedicated to luxury travel, which now reaches more than 675,000 targeted, affluent, forward-thinking global travelers a natural extension to her already successful brand, Travel Curator is a content-driven platform featuring all original content, including curated city guides, travel features, insider recommendations, and tried and trusted traveler tips from her global network of influencers. Wow, Melanie, you are <laughs> a busy person indeed. When the hell do you have time to travel? I'm exhausted just listening to that myself, actually. I'm <laughs> a little bit of a lie down. Um, <laughs> well, at the moment, I've got plenty of time to travel. I just can't go anywhere, um, which is a sorry state of affairs. But um, 
you know, I have been fortunate that I have had a couple of trips in the past year, and we're going to touch on one of them today when I take you to Marrakesh. Um, but generally, I do travel a lot. And uh, the great thing about being in this business is it's what I love, and I can do it from anywhere in the world. So it works out well. That's terrific. When did you realize that you had a passion for travel? You know, Michael, I think I can pretty much date it back to 1972 on an Air India flight from Melbourne to Perth to Israel. Uh, my father had been transferred there for business and would never left the country before. I mean, I'd never been on an aeroplane. And, um, you know, we was, mum used to have us dressed up in our finery. And I remember sitting on this uh, plane, we're in the first class section on one of those jumbos. And upstairs, they had a grand piano and they had a bar. Not that I was drinking at that wow. point. I was very young, but I guess for me, it was it was so glamorous. I mean, we didn't even have seatbelts upstairs at that point, but it was a very glamorous old school, like an old Pan Am sort of advertisement you'd see. Yes, so yes. that was a, it was a very exciting time. And, and from there, my parents took us traveling all the time. They really wanted us to experience the world, which was great. Well, how things have changed, you know, how amazing it was when you would travel, you would take the effort to dress up and you were, you were doing something really out of the ordinary. And it was very glamorous um, to be able to sit in a first class upper deck of a 747 with a bar and a piano. Uh, pretty fabulous. No wonder you got hooked uh, to travel at an early age. That's right. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think that because of that, travel to me has always been stylish. And, um, you know, even throughout my career with Intercontinental, where I was traveling the world representing all their hotels, I'd be in, you know, Dubai one weekend, I'd be in Beirut the next, I'd be somewhere else. But, I, you know, we always got dressed up when we travel because firstly, we we're representing our company. And secondly, you would be more likely to get an upgrade if you were better dressed. <laughs> that is so um, true. <laughs> but it, you know, it was almost, you know, I never, I always wore high shoes. I always got dressed up. I always felt like I was representing my best self when traveling. So I, and I, and I love that. I love the whole sort of process of putting all that together and taking my suitcase and walking through the airport. It was always very glamorous back then. Of course, things have changed dramatically. And since I've, uh, you know, the last 10 years it's become more jump on, jump off. So um but still, there is a lot of glamour left in the world of travel. Here, here, I agree. So how did you end up translating all of that and start to connect with clients? And when did you realize they love and needed your services? Um, it was, you know, after 15 years working in the corporate world, and I left and sort of went out on my own uh, to set up the Brahmin Agency, I'd made so many contacts, you know, during that time. And so when people heard I was, um, you know, doing my own thing, they wanted to stay connected with me in a way and, and then brought me on as their publicist and PR agency. Um, so it's been a great journey. I've had the company now for 20 years and, you know, we have represented the best of the best all over the world and we continue to do so today. And, you know, when you love what you do, it's, it's so easy. And um, whilst it's been a tough, you know, year, the past year, you know, as I always say to my clients, your doors may be closed, but your brand isn't. So we've spent this time um, keeping them in the press and keeping them relevant. Um, and so when things do come back, which I hope will be this summer, um, they'll be ready and everyone's going to be waiting to travel. The, the pent up demand is extraordinary right now. I would imagine, uh, you know, destination travel, in my opinion, touches on every aspect of style. 
uh, high-end modes of transportation, sophisticated accommodations, new gastronomical delights, shopping, the arts, culture, adventure, soirees and rendezvous, of course, over many cocktails. Um, so this next part of the podcast, I'm really excited about because I am looking forward to having you uh, take us on a virtual tour of uh, a few exquisite destinations that you love and that you are stylishly connected to. Where would you like to take us first? I would love to take you to St. Moritz in Switzerland. Wonderful. I'm going to go to three very different places um, and the reach, each of them are so incredibly stylish for many different reasons, but St. Moritz, in fact, I would be there today if it wasn't for COVID because this is the exact time of the year I go because it's when they have the very famous uh, white turf horse racing, which takes place on the frozen lake at the base of the Coom Hotel, which is my client. And it is the most glamorous social event of the winter season. Um, it's a unique, exclusive, top-class event with exciting, you can only imagine exciting horse racing on this frozen lake. It's quite extraordinary. And there are two events that take place around this time. One is one is um, the white turf horse racing where they're literally racing horses around the perimeter of a frozen lake. And a week or two on either side is the snow polo. And um, it's really quite extraordinary. And these events are not only just for, you know, for, for the glamorous jet set and I mean, just the amount of wealth that you see, but also the amount of fun that everyone has. It's also for the actual horse, you know, for the race horse owners, the trainers and the jockeys. So it's really um, an opportunity for them to compete. These are very serious participants. And the one thing um, when I was there, I was there two years ago, actually, I was, I was there for, for work and I use sort of air quotes for that because I mean, <laughs> how glamorous does this sound? Um, I was there with a handful of luxury travel riders um, who were writing about my hotel, you know, my clients two hotels there. And I didn't grow up skiing. I mean, as an Australian, you know, it was, it's always been more about the apres for me, even though wherever you go skiing in the world today, there are Aussies everywhere. But I always had this picture in my mind about St. Moritz and its enduring style and just the glamour of sort of the slim Aaron's glamour of it all. Oh, I yes. Say, I, I, I was not disappointed. So, but they do this one thing and I would doubt if any of your listeners have heard of it. It's called ski jogging. Have you heard of that? No. Ski or ski jogging, ski jogging, ski jogging. Tell us. It's, it's the most bizarre. So I'm all wrapped up. I've got birds. I've got all my, I'm, I'm, you know, fitting in, hopefully, with all the glamour. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, the ski jogging, the ski jogging. And so I get onto the, you know, to the viewing platform. They're ponies on the snow. And, and, the, and the riders are on skis behind them with, like, reins. The horses are barreling around the perimeter of this frozen lake. These guys are on skis. I mean, how they did not all die is beyond me, but they take it very seriously. I mean, this is a very aggressive race and probably the most dangerous thing I've seen for a long time. Um, but, you know, the thing about St. Moritz, it's sort of this mix of glamour and danger. I mean, you know, it's such a great place for adrenaline junkies, you know, who also participate in another St. Moritz staple, which is the Cresta Run. Um, I can sort of see the appeal of this for a lot of people where glamour meets meets adrenaline meets a lot of, you know, late night drinking and fabulous nightclubs. And, you know, it's it's just sort of incredible sort of, head, you know, the heady days of 
the heady long lost days that, um, you know, that I remember from the eighties, it's still alive and well in St. Moritz. So I have a great time. Amazing. You know, it's really so much of the equestrian events that are, that are there as well as skiing and apres ski, obviously Um, it's phenomenal. You know, the equestrian world is varied and um, to be able to watch polo being played on the ice or horse racing or what did you call the the uh skiing behind the ski jogging ski jogging ski jogging i I think uh i'll be doing some serious uh youtubing later uh to watch these events and i encourage our listeners to do the same but this is really phenomenal and uh i'll have to check all of that out but uh please continue uh with uh, saint merit's well, if you don't find yourself participating in, in, in either of those, there's always um, a little ice skating that can be done at the Lord Norman Foster designed um, ice skating rink, which is part of the Coombe Hotel. And, you know, it's just such a great afternoon. So after you've been watching all this, you can put on your skates and it's incredibly beautifully designed um, outdoor skating ring and this beautiful like bar and restaurant that overlooks it. So that sort of becomes a social hub, you know, afterwards. And uh, wonderful. You know, it really is. Um, it's, it's such a unique um, destination. There's nighttime scheme where they light up the mountain and you can come down with sort of torches. They really go all out. And, you know, one of the, one of the stories about St. Moritz, which um which a lot of people don't know is that it really is the birthplace of skiing. And it sort of goes back to a, to a gentleman, um, Johannes Budrat, who um, was the owner of the Coombe Hotel, which is my client today. And this is back in 1864, so a little while ago, because people only ever went to Switzerland for the summer. Like they would go for, you know, the wellness of the temperatures and they'd come over. It would take them probably like three weeks to come over from Britain. They'd stay there for three, four months during the summer and then head, head back home when it got cold. So in 1886, he told his English summer guests that winter was even more beautiful and that he would pay for their lodging if they didn't love it. So four aristocratic families came back for Christmas and found the winter wonderland. And as a result, um, it became the hub of skiing and many other um, winter sports, as, as I mentioned, from bobsled skeleton to Cresta to luge. I mean, there were so many that, that gave birth here. So, but I do want to say that St. Moritz is equally as beautiful in the summer. So if you really love hiking, um, it's a little more laid back um, uh, in, in, in its own way, but equally beautiful. And of course, you know, the hotels there are spectacular. Um, voted number one in Switzerland for many years is the Coombe Hotel. I just mentioned that. It's such a beautiful property. It's right in the center of town, which is great because you can walk to the chairlifts or to all the great restaurants nearby and all the bars. And um, it's really sort of the central hub of St. Moritz. And you just walk into the lobby and it's just, you're like from another world. It's incredibly, um, you know, historic and, but still modern. And they've, they've redone a lot of the, the rooms so they're very contemporary, but at the same time, everything overlooks the mountain range. So it's really quite spectacular. Amazing. Yeah, it really is incredible. The other thing there, of course, is, you know, there's no shortage of places to go and things to do. I mean, the Jet Set sort of have an unlimited, you know, choice um, to celebrate after a long day on the slopes. And, uh, you know, the, everything from um, <laughs> this bar I would go to most evenings before I go out for like the next dinner would be Pavarotti. It's sort of this bustling bar, you know, bar scene, which is great for like evening cheese and parma ham, charcuterie with a nice soup of Tuscan. Um, and then, of course, you know, off, you know, there's this great place called um, 
La Baraca, which is located on the outskirts of town in this sort of nondescript shack in the middle of a parking lot serves delicious family style fairs. Some of the best parties end up there, as you can well imagine. It's sort of a must do <laughs> for any serious sort of St. Moritz uh, regular. The Kuhn Hotel itself has uh, the Sunny Bar, which is where everyone comes after racing. Um, you know, it's just, it, it just has a, a sense of family um, because everyone has a commonality, which is winter sports and um, wanting to just really, you know, live it and breathe it and love it. And, you know, I just think that it's it, it's all about experientially. It, it's all about just having a genuine connection with each other, which is what I really love about being in St. Moritz. And there's, oh, there's one other place, but if you, only if you can get into it, it's the most difficult club to get into, I think, in the world. And I was fortunate to get into it last time. I was dying to go to it. It's called Dracula. What, what is it? The Dracula Club. I know the European nightclubs have the weirdest names. And start, it's called like gringos or something. Oh, they, they really do have the so most strange. unusual names. But what I love about these clubs in Europe is that you find, you know, these gorgeous sort of, you know, young, you know, sort of 20-somethings, but they're there with their parents and they're there with, you know, a silver fox granddad and everyone's totally age appropriate. It's it's such a close little knit circle that, you know, it's, it isn't like a club you find in New York or something. I mean, these are really extraordinary sort of like, clubs where they you know the memberships passed down from you know from dad to down to daughter and whatnot and so Drax was open when I was there it's only open like 15 nights a year so Wonderful. if you were there that is the place that you need to get into if you can phenomenal so uh this is just a, a great way to start our journey and it sounds like such an amazing place uh for winter uh but not only for winter as you said if you want to go at a, at a quieter time you can check that out too so uh that's terrific um what place on the map are you going to transport us to next it has to be to one of my favorite cities in the world and that's marrakesh in morocco I was fortunate oh. enough. Oh my gosh, it is swoon worthy. It is glamorous, <laughs> it's magical, it's spiritual. It's so hard to truly understand a place like that unless you've spent time there. And I've been very fortunate that I've spent a lot of time there and it's really my happy place. Um, maybe it's because I grew up in the Middle East and sort of, you know, have a, an affinity for the food and culture and lifestyle of that part of the world. Yes. Uh, it was my last, pretty much one of my last trips I did actually, November 2020. I was fortunate to, uh, was able to take a small group over there um, because we were reopening some restaurants by Jean-Georges at La Mamounia, which is my client there, which is, uh, was voted the best hotel in the world um, a couple of years back by Condé Nast Traveler. It's just a beautiful palace in the Medina of Marrakesh. It's quite easy to get to from the States as well, which is great. I mean, there are direct flights to Casablanca and Royal Air Maroc. It's only seven hours. It's actually like a great, you know, for me, seven wow. hours is like a weekend trip. I mean, it really is. Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so, you know, you fly to Casablanca and then you can either take a 30-minute flight to Marrakesh or most often I take, I do the two-hour drive because I love driving through the desert and you sort of come across these little Bedouin um, villages inter interspersed with, you know, oases and palm trees and you know the Berbers the local nomadic farmers um, who are tending to their their sheep their camels and patches of green pastures it's it's like you've been taken back to biblical times and um, I find that just so so good for the soul but then you know as you come into Marrakesh or as you fly into Marrakesh and you see this it sort of just comes out of nowhere, this beautiful um, city of Marrakesh and you know the thing about um, about Marrakesh it's all 
in the same beautiful Moorish architecture. And I love its you know, conformity and the ochre hues of the walls of the Medina. Um, and the Medina is the oldest, is basically what was the oldest part of the city, the old city, and it was protected by the walls. And this was where everyone lived inside there. And um, it's where the souk is, you know, the markets, um, you know, a lot of people live within the Medina. You'll find some incredible restaurants down these hidden alleyways. And again, you know, you could, it's sort of this labyrinth of um, pathways and alleyways and people trying to sell you things and people trying to feed you. And, but you never feel unsafe. You always feel like you could just be walking around for hours and everyone really wants to genuinely show you a good time and, and help you experience it in ways that you might be a bit nervous about if you weren't if you didn't realize how safe it was there. It sounds absolutely cinematic, just the way you're setting this whole thing up. You're, you know, beyond taking us on a journey, it just really feels like a destination that, you know, everyone should try to experience if they can uh, in their lifetime. It really is. I mean, there's so much history there. I mean, you think about, um, you know, again, uh, La Mamunia, the hotel where I stay, um, it's, you know, famous for, you know, um, Winston Churchill was always a regular there and he would, you know, spend a lot of time in the gardens painting. Um, if you remember the Alfred Hitchcock film, The Man Who Knew Too Much, in one of the suites it's where Doris Day sang Que Sera Sera. You know, when we reopened the hotel 10 years ago, you know, the celebrities that just signed up to come down because, you know, everyone's heard about this hotel and, you know, it sits in, you know, as I said, within the Medina, but it sits on a huge amount of, I think it's 17 acres of lush gardens. And within the gardens, there's, you know, 700 year old olive trees from which they still make olive oil. And it's probably some of the best olive oil I've ever had. It's absolutely Phenomenal. amazing. And 700 orange trees and 5,000 rose bushes. So you, if you can imagine waking up on your, on your terrace, on your balcony from your room or suite, they all had these incredible balconies overlooking this garden. And you hear the prayer to call from one of the mosques just within, you know, you can see the mosque. You can almost feel like you can see the man up there doing the prayer to call. But you hear the prayer to call. Dusk is settling. You can just smell the oranges and the rose bushes. And you just hear a little you know, clink clatter of people having a cocktail on the terrace downstairs at the hotel. It's just... Honestly, you just never actually ever want to leave the hotel. <laughs> Which, but of course, you know, if you know, you can't go to Marrakesh without shopping. So of course, you know, across the road is the Medina. So of course, you know, take take an empty suitcase if you're going to Marrakesh. That's amazing. I have been immersed in Marrakesh. Uh, I'm developing a line of fragrances. Uh, one of the fragrances is the flavors, the just the the entire immersive experience of Marrakesh, and uh, it is just so layered and a place that conjures up um, everything to, uh, regarding the senses. What notes do you have in your fragrance for Marrakesh? So our Marrakesh fragrance, Wander Marrakesh, is a floral and spicy fragrance, of course. Uh, top notes would uh, include bergamot, pink pepper, and candied ginger. Uh, the mid notes would be white tea, magnolia, and ginger blossom. Uh, and then lastly, you're dealing with a dry down of musk, cedarwood, amber musk, and blonde woods. Marrakesh is such a great inspiration for, for the senses. And I'm sure whatever you're going to be making will be absolutely exotic and will be delicious. I can't wait to, I can't wait to try it myself. Speaking of delicious. So when you're there, what are your favorite things that you like to eat when you're in Marrakesh? I 
adore the food there. The hotel has this, uh, La Mamounia has this incredible Moroccan restaurant. It's in a Riyadh on the property. And Riyadh is like a home uh, with the central courtyard and you'll find them all over the city. Um, and a lot of little hotels have been former Riyadhs. And anyway, it's this Riyadh on the property and all the chefs are Moroccan women who have been cooking for a long time with recipes that have been passed down um, from their mothers as well. One of the things that they love to cook is called a pastis, and you can either have it sweet or savory. And the savory one is generally pigeon, although you can have lamb or chicken, but pigeon's the main one um, that they do. That's the most sort of traditional one. And then of course there are sweet pasties, uh, what we would call in Australia um, a pasty with almond and, and lots of um, nuts and sugar and things like that. But of course, you know, nothing tastes as good as, you know, the hummus that, that you'll get there or, the, you know, everything that we have here <laughs> or wherever you're from, unless it's actually been made there and then, and, and the pitta is so hot as it comes out of the oven and you're drinking, you know, beautiful Moroccan wines. They have an incredible wine industry there too. So, I mean, I couscous, tangines, you name it. I love all of it. So um, I could, you know, I have that for lunch and dinner every day. It's fantastic. <laughs> My mouth is watering right now. It's unbelievable. Um, the colors and the architectural style, the architecture is something that has inspired designers, uh, especially through the years, through the decades. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, you're right. You know, Michael, the colors um, in Marrakesh are probably what I most remember about it when I'm back home in New York. Um, everything from you know, the triangular shaped spice displays in the souk of green, you know, these mm -hmm. vibrant colors of orange and purple and green and pink. You know, it's sort of the classic photo you see of the markets, right? But also I think fashion has been a big inspiration in Marrakesh for a long time. And it really started with Yves Saint Laurent who was down there in the 60s and 70s. That's right. and he and his partner had renovated a beautiful home there which you can now access um, through private invitation. Um, and part of that home was this incredible garden, um, which is now being given to the city called the Majoral Gardens. It's about a 10 minute drive from the hotel. Um, and now they're beautiful public gardens designed back in 1923. And they've been painted, again, coming back to color, what they created a Majoral blue. And it's this beautiful, vibrant blue, which is really symbolic of Marrakesh. So, you know, Yves Saint would bring down all of his fashion friends you know, um, a lot of New York society back then would come down from, you know, Barbara Hutton and all of her friends would come down. So it was very much a, a place that um, where, you know, s s you know, the jet setters of the 60s and 70s would come. And uh, as a result, you know, there's a lot of amazing fashion coming out of Morocco too, local designers. And I, when I was there last time, I went to what would be like the Soho of Marrakesh. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe even the Brooklyn of Marrakesh, uh, where there were <laughs> a lot of like great industrial design centers and sort of the up and coming areas within Marrakesh, which has been booming in the last few years. And uh, it was fascinating to see what they're doing. It's just, you know, it's top notch. All of it is really great. I am so ready to pack my bags right now and, and go. You can't um, imagine. Uh, you know, the first time I heard you uh, was actually on the jasoncharles.net podcast network uh, on talk shows. There was a, a podcast uh, called Traveling Without Moving. 
It's episode number five, A Weekend in Marrakesh. And um, I really encourage our listeners to go and listen to that. It, it gives you even a fuller, it's like an hour long program just on Marrakesh. So I really encourage our listeners to, uh, to uh, tune in to jasoncharles.net or wherever you get your podcast and check that out. Thank you. I had fun doing that. It was great. It took me back to you. It was wonderful. Anyway, listen, take us to another fabulous place. I'm ready. I'm going to take you to one that I first started with, which are sort of uber glamorous and uber sexy. And this is the same, but in a totally more laid back way. And I think it's, it, it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it's Lake Como um, in Italy. And I'm very um, familiar with a lot of, of Americans who, um, who go to Italy each year. Um, it, the thing about Lake Como is it really has this timeless appeal. Um, for those that don't know, it's located in the north of Italy. The closest Italian city is Milan, and actually it's not too far from St. Moritz, which we spoke about earlier. It's a, a natural paradise that has been popular destination since the time of Romans. And I think, you know, just the, the whole water and wellness and the historical sort of um, significance of that had always made it a place that um, the people would, would, would make a pilgrimage to in a way, well, in their own way, I suppose. It is a rather large lake um, and there are some great towns that anchor it. So I'll talk, to the, I'll talk to you about those in just a minute. All right. When I last visited Lake Como, um, we drove from Cannes, which is on the French Riviera. It was in summer. Um, it was roughly a four hour drive and pretty for the most part, you know, it was worth, it was worth the trip. And so a long weekend in, um, on Lake Como is very doable. And it's actually sort of the perfect amount of time. Three, four nights on Lake Como is perfect. So whether you're already in Italy, you want to do an add-on, as I said, it's about a 90-minute train ride or car ride from Milan. It's a beautiful, low-key, stylish, understated elegance. I like to say it's Como cool, if you will. Unlike some <laughs> of the shinier towns on the Riviera or Europe's sort of glossy capital cities, you know, you, you won't find casinos here or a burgeoning nightlife here. It's Italian chic at its best. And as we know, the Italians do chic just the best. Incredible, um, and, as they right? say. Right? I mean, just divine. <laughs> Everyone is so beautifully put together and... Um, it was such a perfect antidote after a fast-paced few days on the uh, French Riviera. So um, I definitely needed a little break here. What I love about Como is, again, the understated elegance about it all. Um, it's not flashy, even though it is incredibly luxurious. It's not done in a way that is at all pretentious. Um, a typical day um, when we were there would really include, obviously, a very leisurely breakfast um, on our hotel terrace. Um, long walks on the cobblestone streets, exploring the lake by private boat, um, which is, I think, is the best way to do it because you get to see all those magnificent villas from the water and you can whiz around George Clooney's if you, you really want to see where he, you see his villa there. But, you know, it's- On a, you know, on a Riva, of course, on a wood boat on or a Riva, Riva, of course. Absolutely. Those boats are just, and that's what I mean about understated elegance, right? I mean, yes. a Riva is truly the most elegant wooden boat on the water anywhere i think in the world and, and so you know they have indeed you know and so you'd you'd um putter around in one of those and you'd stop somewhere during the day and and uh and get off and and have you know beautiful fresh fish at a little restaurant on the waterside there get back have a have a siesta negronis on the terrace at night and then an amazing dinner a great pasture i mean honestly just just repeat for me every day it's like the perfect <laughs> perfect vacation for me but it's just you know i think it's 
it just has a little bit of everything for everyone. And it's great, you know, particularly, look, if you've been in Florence, you've been in Rome and two of my favorite cities, but you know, it's quite exhausting, you know, all the people of course. moving around, trying to see every cathedral, trying to do, you get over to Lake Como and, you know, particularly if you go in the shoulder seasons, you know, just on either side of summer, um, there aren't as many tourists who, you, you know, you really have an incredibly relaxed, elegant time. Have you been there yourself, Michael? I have uh, years ago, and uh, it was one of those pinch me moments. I, I find most of Italy uh, like that, where it almost looked like a movie set. Uh, it said, how is this designed with the cypress trees and the color of the villas on the lake and their, their docks with the, with the, uh, the docking poles that are striped in different colors. I mean, uh, the blue sky, the blue lake, um, it's the best of uh, things that we have known here in the United States, like Lake Tahoe and the Adirondacks, but all lumped together in Northern Italy with that style and that architecture. And it, it, it's only, there's only one place like that and it's Lake Como. Isn't it? It's just dreamy. And the amount of yeah. real estate envy I was having, I mean, of course, the next thing I do is I stop in front of every real estate place while I'm there to see if I can possibly move my entire world here. Um, <laughs> because why wouldn't you want to? It's so spectacular. And it really is. And it's so centrally located, as I said, to the rest of Italy, to Switzerland, you know, to the French Riviera, the Italian Riviera. It's really convenient. And, uh, you know, I think spending three, four months there a year would be uh, wouldn't be a bad thing at all. You know, there are places also that you need to decompress. You need to have that break in your in your in your trip or your journey, so that you can just catch your breath and sort of just uh, relax, chillax, and just take in the scenery and all the things that that place has to offer, and then move on to your next destination. And it, I think Lake Como is a place just like that. And luxury doesn't always have to be about, you know, the fastest, the shiniest, um, the most expensive. You know, I think luxury is always a, a combination of where can I find that best pasture? And is it down a little laneway that no one else knows about except the locals? That to me is luxury. That to me is style and traveling and style, all that insider knowledge, um, uh, which is, you know, something that I think people look for even, even more than ever now. It's all about the experience. It's about how do I explore Lake Como in a way that will give me memories that I will want to talk to, to all my friends about as well and maybe share that little secret, you know, that little secret restaurant I found, but maybe not. And, you know, that's luxury and, and, uh, and we don't get enough of that today. I, I agree with you 100%. So uh, tell me something from all the places that you've traveled, is there one place that has influenced your style more than others? Um, well, if you see me in summer um, on the beach, you would say it's Morocco. I am known to have the largest collection of caftans of any of my friends. I love um, it. But I think, you know, when it comes to style, um, you know, my, my personal style with interiors, for example, you'll find a lot of my style is influenced by all the places that I go to. And I think it's those places that I have the, have the closest connection with um, and that have left an imprint on me. So you'll find beautiful, you know, Italian handcrafted China that I got, um, you know, on one of my trips to Italy, um, some Moroccan beautiful brass lanterns that I have on my terrace here in New York to, you know, it's, it's very much, a, a, my style is, is a reflection of my life and where I've been and what I've really loved the most and what has 
has made me um, who I am today. You know, I think genuine connection is what we're all looking for and travel gives that to me personally. And so I reflect that within my own surroundings and not just in what I wear or what I cook, but definitely um, in how I sort of live my life and how I bring my friends along for the ride as well. How wonderful. Uh, obviously, travel has uh, been seriously impacted by the global pandemic. Um, how have you pivoted your businesses uh, to deal with these challenges today? Thanks for asking, Michael. It has been very difficult. Um, I, I'm not going to lie because I am in travel and everybody knows it's been incredibly difficult. You know, my my uh, public relations agency, um, you know, as I said, a lot of our clients have had a very, very difficult time, but we have stayed here with them. Um, some of them have had to go on hiatus and that's okay, but we know travel's going to come back and, um, and we're sort of in this together, right? And so what we've done is also spent a lot of time with my other company, which is Travel Curator, the content company, which has actually flourished um, during this time because we can't travel. And so we've really done a lot of um, content around Wonderlust and armchair traveling. And, um, you know, that has allowed us to sort of really grow our, our readership to, to over a million now. It's been extraordinary in the last year. It's grown leaps and bounds. So that has been Phenomenal. one bright light. It's been a um, in this sort of dark tunnel that I can see us coming out of. And But they do intersect. And so um, it's, it's, it's been challenging, but I'm, I'm seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I'm hoping by, as I said, you know, in the middle of this year, that we're all starting to get back on the road again. Isn't it interesting? And it really works for you. Uh, you know, it's almost necessary today to have multiple businesses that sort of revolve around the same, the same thing. And you, uh, you do that with uh, um, uh, the travel curator, um, which is, again, a perfect opportunity for the armchair traveler at this, mm -hmm. at this moment in, in history, where we're reaching out for that and destinations and images. I, I, when I'm on social media, I can't help but see so many travel images uh, that are just compelling and they just make you pause for a moment and just wander. Again, that wanderlust, the desire for wanderlust is so ingrained in us at the moment. In your opinion, um, is there a silver lining for all of us who have this wanderlust right now? And where do you see the travel industry going in the future? Well, I've just got my crystal ball and I'll let you know <laughs> where it is. Um, um, it's a really interesting question. I think uh, to answer the first part, I, I, I do think that there's going to be massive pent up demand to travel. And I think bucket list travel is going to be at the top of that list, leisure travel, particularly in the luxury sector um, mm -hmm. and to places where there's space, social distancing, you know, private jet aviation has never been more popular and sort of, you know, safaris and long haul, the Maldives, you know, places where people can go as extended families and have a safe socially distant uh, vacation. I think, you know, business travel is going to take a lot longer to come back. As we know, we can all Zoom now. Um, everyone is, except the lawyer with the cat, everyone has learned how to use Zoom. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, travel will come back. There's no question. It has to. I mean, too many world's economies, you know, too many, you know, countries rely on it as almost 100% of their GDP. It will come back. People's desire to travel, their passion for learning, that their, their, their need to connect, um, I think will only be, will only get greater now after COVID because, 
it's been taken away from us for so long. I think we're all going to need it more than ever. So I'm excited to see where it's going. It may not come back as quickly as we would have liked, um, but it will. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here for it. I'm excited to see where it goes. I agree. You know, uh, when something is taken away from you, you really do appreciate it so much more. And I think that the the future traveler is going to savor each one of those experiences uh, that they that they have on their journey uh, with greater emotion and um, and just greater uh, empathy and feeling when they're when they're going through it. Um, uh, when you travel a lot, you take things for granted. And when you're always taking the annual trip here or there, you know, it's sort of like, so what? But now you're really going to feel that this is indeed a special privilege to be able to do this, no matter what level of travel you're, you're able to do. Um, you're going to view it very differently, I, I feel. Well, this has been amazing. And I'd like to wrap uh, with you and ask you a question that I ask all my guests. Uh, and that is, uh, Melanie, what is your style philosophy? My style philosophy um, is wrapped up in my love for travel, the places I've been to that have influenced me um, through the way that I live my life, the way that I entertain, the way that I design my homes that I live in, the way that I dress, the way that I communicate with people about places that I've been to so they too can fall in love with them. Um, you know, my style, I think evolves a lot. And I think that's what travel is all about too, because nothing stays the same. So for me, my style continuously evolves depending on where I've been and what has influenced me at that time. That's, uh, sounds great. And, you know, traveling is about evolution. Traveling is about reinvention. And uh, I think that you're all about that. Uh, I have a funny feeling. You know, here on Style Philosophers, we focus on guests like you who share one thing in common. That's really a person who's passionate, who has a passionate drive like you do with travel and a unique style philosophy. Uh, I think you are the personification of just that. I thank you for taking us on such magical places uh, on this episode. And I look forward to continuing my armchair traveling at the moment on Travel Curator, but uh, curating uh, eventually a real trip uh, with you in the future. Um, tell us, where can our listeners find out more about you, your services, and how to contact you? Well, I'll travel with you anytime you say, Michael. So just let me know. I'll be the first one there. Wonderful. I know. I'm excited to get back on a plane. Your listeners can reach me um, either by email, melanie at travelcurator.com or follow me on Instagram at travelcurator or at Melanie Brandman. Terrific. Um, you know, the style of travel is a topic that uh, we will be exploring periodically on Style Philosophers. So I hope you enjoyed this charter episode. Meanwhile, please listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Uh, you can also stream the programs on jasoncharles.net podcast network, arts and culture shows. Stay current with all matters of style and upcoming programs by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Style Philosophers. Until next time, this is Michael Paris reminding you to be confident and live by your own style philosophy. Style Philosophers. With host Michael Paris on jasoncharles.net. 
For more information about Michael Paris and the Style Philosophers, follow at Style Philosophers on Instagram. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.